The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the host slash guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any of BXR entities and those they represent. How is everyone doing? How's everyone doing? This is Nate, host of the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Uh, we have a special uh, show today. We have some actors from the project that I've been talking about every week for a year now. Um, uh, from You Thought I Was Him project that will be opening up November the 11th uh, at Arena Playhouse. So I hope you all have gotten your tickets because um, there are limited tickets for this one because they're still following some of the protocol for uh, COVID. So it's a 300 seat theater, but I believe they're only selling 200 of those tickets and tickets have been being booked up. So get your tickets now. Um, I don't wanna hear anybody crying out in the uh, parking lot because they couldn't get out. Uh, but we have three of the actors on. We have Noah has returned. We also has Mr. Marche and Mr. Uh, Calvin, Brother Calvin, who is not uh, a stranger to Big Exposed Radio. So without further ado, I'm just gonna jump right into it today because apparently these men have booked other things for their time, except for Calvin, because I'm sure Marche is about to slide out along with Noah at any time. So let's just maximize our time and introduce these brothers to the show. Uh, Noah, Calvin, and Mr. Marche. Uh, Blue may be joining us uh, later. That's another time. Oh, yeah. How are you all doing? Amazing. So we're in Thank you for having me. Now. Thank you. We're in crunch mode now. We're going actually into production week and these uh gentlemen have been working the last couple months learning lines learning blocking learning choreography um learning each other um so first of all i want you all to introduce yourself you can start with brother calvin what's going on world it's your boy brother calvin tucker www.calvinthespecialist.com come on and lock in um, again, I'm a recording artist, an actor, published model, um, and a bunch of other things. A bunch of other things. Um, you just celebrated your anniversary. Um, was that your birthday also? Yes. On October 22nd, it was my 39th birthday and my 20th year anniversary as a professional recording artist. So we had a, it was called the Yellow Party, theme was yellow and stuff. Uh, Kevin Jr. was in the building, um, mm. and so was uh, Martique. Uh, <laughs> he came through for a hot second. Uh, and I did a whole, you know, mini concerts, took people on a journey of the type of music I did, along with some covers mixed in there. Took them on a 90s R&B nostalgic throwback session. Okay. Man, it was awesome. So, yeah. Well, 
congratulations. Um, Thank you. Uh, happy belated birthday. Um, I, you know what? I didn't even say nothing. I'm going to just wait. But um, uh, Mr. Noah, introduce yourself again. Hi, um, Noah Silas. Happy to be back here on the Artist Exchange Radio. Thank you again, Nate. Um, actor, director, cinematographer here in Baltimore, Maryland. Very excited to be back at the Arena Playhouse from when I was a kid and uh, working with these amazing actors, Calvin and Mars. It's been such an honor to watch you guys uh, work. So very happy to be here. And Mr. Marche. Hi, everybody. My name is Marche Allen. Um, I play the role as Kevin Alexander Brown, Jr. Um, I'm an actor. I've worked with John Hopkins and Center Stage, and I'm just excited to be working at the Arena Playhouse under the direction of Troy Burton. Um, I'm excited about this production. I'm excited to be here. And just this, this assignment um, about Black men as a whole, I'm excited. I like that word, Simon. I think Come Noah, on. I didn't hear you all say your names, but Noah is playing the father of uh, Kevin Jr. He'll be Kevin Sr. And Calvin will be playing the role of cousin. Uh, cousin Dana. Cousin Dana, the uh, cousin of these gentlemen. Um, mm -hmm. I'm gonna jump right into it. How has this process been for you all? Um, all of you all, your first times working with Troy, um, and I believe both of Calvin and Noah have worked at Arena Players before, but how has this journey been with the You Thought I Was Him project? Well, um, this journey has actually been amazing. It has been, um, for me, I answered prayer for as reviving the creative side of myself. Um, I did not know that I would be stepping into, stepping into a heavy project as such, I got the, the audition call at the last minute to come audition. And I was just excited to be a part of something again, um, to wake up those create creativities. So not knowing that I will be walking, not just into a play or not just into a production, but into a heavy, like I said, assignment for real, because presenting the character that I am presenting, this is not something that you can just play with. This is not something that you can halfway do. You have to give it your all because somebody is looking in the mirror at themselves trying to overcome their trauma. Mm -hmm. oh. Come on, Bishop. No. He is so, so, so me, um, <laughs> Right. You gave oh, a yeah. word right there because that's real. Um, this is my first time working with Troy out and... I performed at the arena players during an intermission of a play. So technically, this is the fulfillment of my dream to be in a production at arena players. It's always been a uh, dream of mine and it's here. So um, I was just excited about that as well. Um, this process is very different for me because it's my first time being a part of a production that a part of the workshop process. I have never been a part of the behind the scenes, the making of where the script is still being developed, watching all of all of it unfold, all of the pieces that have to go into it, all of the interviews and the things that happened way before I became a part of the project, being able to see video footage and, and photos and 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 hear the, the stories of how it all came to be is dope. And it's mind blowing. And for a while, I was still digesting the magnitude of what I was a part of in a good way. It's just, it's a, it's more than just 
of production. Uh, we're paying homage to real people. Uh, we're paying homage to um, legends in Baltimore, um, legends in, uh, in, in theater in general. And so because of that, it is blessing my life and it's taking me to another level in my artistry. And um, the challenge is real. <laughs> I'll stop right there. <laughs> Noah, uh, could you repeat the question for me again? So what has this process been uh, working with, like you thought I was him, working with Troy for the first time, returning back? Because uh, I, I don't think you've been on stage at Arena for quite some time. Yeah, the last show I did at Arena Players was 2008. Um, <clears throat> so this is my first time back on that stage. You know, no, actually, I lied. Um, I did when Variations was at Arena Players, so like 2014. Okay. Um, but it, feel, it feels good to be back. Um, it feels great. Just I'm glad to see that the old pioneers, Donald Owens, um, this Miss Orange, Catherine Orange is still there, Miss Charlene, and, and all new, new faces as well. Um, this is my first time working with Troy, but as I mentioned in um, other interviews, um, I've watched him grow up directing um, a, a real nigga show. Um, so, you know, as I said, I, I do feel like it is a, a rite of passage for me. It is something that I needed to do before I leave Baltimore um, to work with Troy. And it has been such a joy and, and delight. It has been a joy and delight to work with all the actors um, in the show and the choreographer, you, Nate, Miss uh, Meekins. This, the whole team is such a, such a breath of fresh air. Most people nowadays are, are kind of moving towards doing more film. And with all the streaming networks and theater, it's never going to be a dying art because we have too many uh, powerful actors that return year after year after year to say Broadway and our off-Broadway and our regional theaters. So it's, it's never going to be, in my opinion, a dying art. But with so many people gravitating to that field, uh, theater has become a niche um, for many people. And I'm, I'm glad to see that the pandemic is now, you know, subsiding because the theater at large was really hurt and impacted by it. Because like Arena Players, like I said earlier, they're seeing less people just to keep it safe until we're really clear of this pandemic. Um, why have either of you chosen theater as a path versus just simply going straight for the film and TV industry? Well, for me, I do both. I grew up in um, a performing arts family. So I've been doing skits in theater since I think second grade was I played Peter Rabbit in, in the school uh, school play. It was it was in grade school. I believe it was second grade. But also after that, it was community projects, family reunion, talent shows, things like that. Um, and then it became more serious. And so this is not just an avenue for me to have a career. This is who I am. It's who God made me. Um, theatrical, just over the top, goofy, different uh, vibes and personality um, expressions. All of those things were a part of who I was before I became an adult and understood that that's who I was. And so theater is the ultimate outlet for somebody like me. So you get to you get to dance, you get to sing, you get to rap, you get to play multiple characters in a production sometimes. And that's everything like that's life for me. Um, even as a recording artist, I prefer live. And the ultimate of that is musical theater because it encompasses the music artistry part and then the acting side. I'm also a sag after actor in the union for film and television as well, and have done tons of movies from Wonder Woman 1984 to 
Harriet with Cynthia Rebo, um, Miss Virginia, um, House of Cards, and the list goes on and on. But um, it's a passion. It's a ministry for me. It, it really is. It's a calling. Mm -hmm. Noah? Acting is a part of the fabric of my skin. I'm a thespian. Um, it's my therapy. It gives me light to be able to create life and to be somebody else and to walk in their shoes and to feel their habits and the nuances and what makes them them. And, you know, I learned as a younger man, you learn about yourself through learning of others. And I, and I, I'm the ultimate people watcher. Um, so it doesn't matter film, television, theater, any outlet that I can be able to sharpen my instrument is key for me. Yeah. How about you, Marshall? Um, I like film. Um, I have tried it before, but I definitely love the 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 moment of a live audience. Um, I like portraying um another person's story, another character is is very much so um therapeutic. Um, I would have to say it's something about um walking out into a place where people is watching you. And it doesn't come from a conceited standpoint, but more so like you have the chance to almost touch someone with your words, your body language, um, and the character that you're portraying. You know, a lot of times that can be done through film, but, you know, we have this thing that we're doing in the production where we're picking like one, like one person in the audience and it's like real, like you can feel, you get what I'm saying? You get more into that character when you're like looking at that person and telling them something. So I love, that's, I love a live audience. Uh, for, for the sake of this project where we're dealing uh, mainly with uh, this family um, and really men, um, what has been one major takeaway that you have so far. I know we're not at the end of the process, but up until this point, what will be one of the major takeaways that you all take from this piece? I would have to say generational trauma was was um, passed down mm. without necessarily saying here, but it was passed down through different um, gestures, actions, um, routines, mm -hmm. and we don't address them. I'm, I'm taking that away from this production and it is necessary that we address them because if one day I become a father, I do not want my child to have some of the, the ways that I have simply because, not that I created them, but because they were passed down to me. And because life go on so quickly, we don't really recognize, you get what I'm saying, the trauma that becomes um, normal for us. You get what I'm saying? I don't want that to become normal for the human being that is to come in my future. That's that's an interesting um, comment or takeaway because uh, during our community conversations and in the writer's room, that became a part of the conversation. Like, how do we... Um, pass down wisdom without um, the trauma. And I, I know myself and one of the, the writers, um, 
Mr. Derek Watkins, that was his argument, not to pass down the trauma with it. But for me, I think that they should go hand in hand and we should equip our young people with the, the foundation and the platform so they're not taking in the, the hurt and embodying the hurt. But that goes along with it. Look at how we, you know, most of us are still affected by slavery. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to sting. It's still going to have an effect on us. But how do do you suggest? And I'll throw that out before the other two of you answer your uh, give your answers. But do you believe? Do any of you believe that we can continue to pass down the wisdom without introducing them to the hurt of trauma or experience um, at all? Do you do any of you think we can do that? I do. I don't because we cannot control how someone receives anything. Mm -hmm. So let's say I am a I have a doctorate in psychology, sociology, theology, and all right. those things, right? And I've worked in the community for years. I write books on all of these issues, right? right. I could be such a master of things that happen that that have that pertain to the mentality of humanity and still teach my son what happened in the past with all of my knowledge of how to package it and all of that. And he can still walk away mm. uh, with a certain part of the trauma of it because it's our people and it's our story. I feel like there's a part of trauma that already is innately connected in us. Once we learn about it, we are now in touch with it, if that makes sense. So if I tell you a story of how I got held at gunpoint point last week and then I described the story uh there may be some trauma that you take away from it that I didn't give to you but just me sharing my story I don't know what you can relate to from it before I told you the story I don't know any of that so for the, the you know sake of not talking too much I feel like you just you can't because we're not inside someone else's soul their mind and we don't know what their past experience uh experiences were I say yes, because it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, if it's somebody that I'm giving knowledge to, or if it's a person that I'm receiving knowledge from, I, I, I would hope that we have that rapport and that safe space, that understanding, that synergy. So if I'm getting information, I, I, I eat the meat, I spit out the bones, you know, I, I take what is necessary for me, and I know that it isn't coming from them trying to unload on me as their therapist, but, <clears throat> but to really um because they've already walked the path they've already gone through the trials to find the lesson to bless me so i don't have to do it you know so i i think it can be done and i, I before marche answers i really believe this the whatever answer you may have to that question it really depends on your age range and and the trauma that you've had some of us have gone through so much that I don't want anymore. I don't want to hear another slave story. I don't want to, but there are ones of us, and it's, it's interesting that um, Noah and uh, Calvin have similar answers because you come from a certain age range where it, it happened regardless. So we we have a certain level of toughness in that, you know, 30s range, a age range. Um, go ahead, Marche. Um, just, um, back to, to the question of, do you think that 
do you think that? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Wow. Well, it's, until he comes back, let me unless he pops back in. Let me let me say one other thing uh, about about that. I work with young people in half for the last thirteen years, and so when I look at that question, I also think about how I already in the classroom passed down in teaching certain subjects and content because in theology we actually go there. You know, we talk about social injustices, slavery, the American flag and its creation, the national anthem racism, uh, social justice, all these things. And you'd be surprised how um, how humanity can tap in emotionally, I mean. So in terms of passing down the trauma, in terms of me being like, okay, this is what we've been through. And this is this is the only way to see it. And I want you to feel like that's different than me just saying what it is and then letting them have their own experiences. Cause it's interesting. You can look at a classroom, you can say something, you know, like this happened to uh, such and such last week and you can watch some students go through a process. I'm visual. So when you tell me a story, I'm picturing it like a comic book or a TV show actually happening. And so my reactions are a lot, a lot of times they're over the top with theatrical. And some of my students are that way. You can see students start to cry who didn't experience what another student was was talking about in their story or their presentation. You can see other students getting angry or wanting to know more, well, what happened next? Or how did you deal with that? Because I couldn't imagine. So empathy and sympathy goes into how someone picks up on uh, trauma as well. So, yeah. But the messenger, the messenger definitely makes a difference. Um, I remember I, I went to Catholic school. So as, mm. as, um, uh, I don't know if you, you teach at a Catholic school or just a parochial mm-hmm. school in general. Catholic. I had a Black uh, religion teacher, and that made a difference because prior to that, in middle school, I had um, mm-hmm. I had a, a white religion teacher from Canada mm-hmm. who was totally removed from the Black experience mm-hmm. in America, um, him just getting here. Um, and then I had a black teacher who was very much so similar to you in that um, of his experience. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got religion in a different way. Um, so it did not feel as uh, I didn't feel like an outsider when I had that one teacher moving to high school, taking religion. Also, where I had a Jewish uh, person teaching me religion and you get I got three different experiences of religion, of my, you know, of my personal experience with it and just history. Cause when you talk about religion, you're definitely talking about history. So you get a different dynamic based off of who was teaching it to you. Cause that white man had no connection to who I was versus the black man who had a direct connection and the Jewish man who had a shared connection to what my experience was. Um, so I, I definitely, representation matters and based off of what you just said calvin yeah he's back i'm sorry <laughs> oh wait a minute is it my turn kevin yeah. jr we left one. oh my bad i thought we left one uh what was the question again i i got lost in your words nate sorry <laughs> you're such an amazing auditor i cannot <laughs> <sit down. laughs> I, I, was, I wanted you all to to comment off of what uh actually 
Marche said, what, what the comment was and what the question was like, can you have that type of, uh, can you pass it down without being affected? Yeah, let, me, let me answer that real quick because I was in the middle of the talk. Go ahead, go ahead uh, Marche. So I feel as though you can, right? And it's back to what Noah, Noah had answered it already. I feel like you can without it being, you know, like Calvin, like Calvin said, Calvin, I do agree that you're going to take something from that, whatever I told you, you're going to feel it, right? But we as Black men get trauma passed down to us in a hurtful way, like we deserve it. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to use this as an example. What you crying for? You a boy. You get what I'm saying? Like, sir, what does me have a, being a boy have anything to do with me crying? That is the human nature. You get what I'm saying? But because that was brought on them, because they grew up that way, like, you bet not cry. You know, so my intake would be for the future was, would be, hey, I wasn't allowed to cry growing up, but I understand that you're hurt for a moment. I want you to get that out for a moment. But as a man, I want you to get yourself back up and keep going. And that part, was of perfect, that, that part, was part of that, part of that, part of that is giving the people who are passing down that information, however they're passing it down, grace because you have to understand that's how they got it. Right. That's, that was their experience, and then being able to communicate with them, and and we have to teach our children to communicate so they we know when they're hurt and why they're hurt and what's hurting them effectively. So being able to then communicate. That is hurtful to me. That's that hurts me, or that affects me in some type of way. Yeah, because a lot of us don't even know why we're hurt. We don't know what hurt us because we won't address it. We won't take time to address it. So yeah, mm. I agree. I absolutely agree. Are you about to well, say I get, something? Look, I get what y'all are saying. Now I was think I was thinking something else. If that's what you mean in terms of hurt people hurting people, then no, there is no way for a person who has not healed and a person who has not been educated beyond how they were raised, you know what I'm saying? Who hasn't come to a complete understanding of who they are as a grown man versus how they were raised up, passing down something? No, you you are gonna pass down that trauma. Like the, the example um, Marcia just, just gave, I think uh, is, is a perfect example of how you pass that trauma down. Like what you crying for, you're, like, you see what I'm saying? Like that's, there's no way to, to get past that if you're a young person a young person can't really, a baby, I'm saying, like, children don't really have the capacity yet to start deciphering, oh, he's hurt because of how he was treated, so mm-hmm. he's not really coming at me. He doesn't mean it that way. So I get it. And it, it really just depends on, because that's, I asked the same question, but people took it different ways, and mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of what this is, because Ultimately, what I was speaking about in our community conversation and in our writer's room was people were talking about just giving people information, like a dad giving a son information or a cousin giving another younger cousin information. Sometimes that information can be toxic, but because Mm -hmm. that's how I got it, that's been my experience growing up, I don't know that this will be harmful to you. Especially if we living in a world where we are, we do have the words to say, this hurts, this affected me, this is trauma, this is traumatized. Like we now have the words to be able to say the things that you and I, uh, Calvin, are the same age. So things that we may have heard, it felt funny. And we kind of said, this is, this is weird. 
somebody mm-hmm. older, that was just the way they were raised. Our right. parents, our uncles, that's just how they were raised. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Tr- Tracy, I see uh, Tracy's on. Uh, uh, go ahead, Noah. You haven't had a chance to answer. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm totally in agreement with what everybody is saying. Um, and just to reiterate what Calvin was talking about, about, um, you know, just the kids that he teach. You know, I, you know, I didn't teach as long as you, you did, Calvin. I had my little stint in Baltimore City Public Schools. But even before I even got to just little life lessons of teaching the kids, even before I even got to my damn lesson plan, it was we had to build that rapport one, right. the, the kids wanted to see if, if I was going to last, if I was going to stay here. So so they they took me to that little test. And once they realized that, then I showed them that I am, at one, as a Black male, that I, I am emotional. I, mm-hmm. I am willing to show my emotions. And I want you to show me yours. And this is a safe space to share. One, that's important as a theater teacher to teach character development. But two, it's just so much trauma. It's so much... Um, decadence and degradation in your face as soon as you walk outside. Because I taught at Booker T and Mount Royal and Waverly and all those cool hood spots. So just just the surrounding area on top of the uh, the the traumas that you have to deal with of the school system on top of the trauma you have to deal with in your family, you know. So just to have a a, a teacher a space where you can just yell, scream, cry, cuss, you know, just you know without cuss without cuss for meaning without certain repercussions, you know, just a safe space. And then once once we've had that understanding and that connection, then they allowed me to impart some knowledge. And, you know, they, as, as I said, you eat the meat, you spit out the bone. What's for you is for you. What's not, discard. That's what's that, up. That's an, interesting, uh, that's an interesting way of saying it because I think that's how we've been getting information uh, all along, and there's a group of people uh, that feel, you know, you have to be tough. You have to give mm-hmm. people the real. You have to, you know, man our men up, our young men up before their time, before they are even grown. And they feel that way, but it's we're noticing now, even, you know, my uncles who are a few years older than me and up, uh, that type of rearing is not good. Because they, you don't know how, like he said, you don't know how people are going to respond to information. So we have to be very uh, careful. Another uh, question that I have, uh, I went to a conference for teachers last year. And one of, the, one of these big teachers that has risen above the crop, she, she made a, 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 set, a statement saying, uh, children cannot learn from people that they don't like. And I, I think, from in my opinion, I think that's a dangerous statement to make one around children to children, because then it it I have to based off what you just said, Noah. I have to have this likability for you yeah. to learn something from me. And I think it's it. I always thought that that saying, and I've been hearing it so many times after that conference. It, it just is very is a very toxic saying. Because you're telling children that in order for you to learn something from me, you have to like me. But I have to get you to like me in order for you to even learn something. So who knows how long that is? You know, I I came right after you at Booker T. And I could not have imagined being there as long as you had. And I'm sure I've been at schools where you'd have been like, this ain't for me. Uh, but it, 
how do you feel about that statement? How how would that statement would have affected you? One being a teacher and you being a student or a young person. And anybody can answer that. Can I go first, please? Only oh, because please. <laughs> only because Nate. Uh, so let me fill you in. This is my first official year, full year, full school year as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Amen. Congratulations. Thank you. I came into this. Over yet. It ain't over yet. <laughs> I came in four months into last school year, mm -hmm. taking over the last teacher's position. Mm -hmm. So coming in this year, I was able to go through the professional development. And before school popped off, you know, we were in our, our sessions with all the staff. So they mm -hmm. played a TED talk from this lady from some other state. Yeah. Who I know said, she had the red jacket on. Yeah, that's the one yeah. I'm talking about. Right. So they played that. And um, that was the whole premise of the, the speaker who was there from our staff. It was a whole premise of their speech. So they played hers and they was talking about that one line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, students don't learn from teachers they don't like. And everybody was clapping and agreeing and agreeing. And I'm looking around like, uh, have you been in the classrooms I've been in? Because some of y'all been teaching 30 and 27 years. But they're on the other side of it. They, they're on the other side of it. So they don't get you coming in in a space where that was not a thing before. So they're on well, the other side of that lady making that statement. And you're well, on. I, I mean, I would say yes and no, because the teachers that have been teaching for 20 and 30 years still getting new students in. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, Because at our school, you teach the same grade for the most part, and they, you, they filter through you. So I stay in the 10th grade. So I'm getting a new group of 95 to 100 10th graders every year, every year. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting new faces. So we're in this constant learning to be new. But, mm -hmm. but the thing is, you already almost said it. I almost said we don't need to say anything. It just resonated with me because mm -hmm. you're telling a young person, well, if they hear that and then they see the reaction, you know, that we're saying that, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, yeah. So I can just be like, I got a 40 in the class because I don't like the teacher. Turn up. Then right. you got to look at each individual student who says they do not like a teacher or that they do like a teacher are for reasons that could not be valid. And what I mean by that is, I remember when I was a substitute, I would have students telling me, you're my favorite teacher. And I'll be like, okay, that's, that's dope. And I, But I would always ask them why, because I need to know why you're saying that. Is it that you think you're getting over on me or you, mm -hmm. you think you're, you're being allowed to use your phone in class or you're allowed to eat food when you're not supposed to? What are, the, what are the reasons why, because, you know, being cool to a young person in a lot of schools, I'm not mm -hmm. saying everybody, but a lot of times when you ask a young person or oh, the teacher is cool, if you walk past the class and, and peep in, kids are doing what they're not supposed to do. You, mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? I'm not that type of teacher. So anyway, I asked them and they would always say, because you're strict, but you're still cool with us. You're still, you know, you keep it real with us, whatever. They'll say something that's valid. And that's what I need to know for me. I need to make sure you're not just saying it because you think you're getting over or something like that. And that term that they cannot learn from you if they don't like you, I feel like is disrespectful to us educators because mm -hmm. you're dealing with hormones, you're dealing with these all these different changes, and you can't pander to one child. And, and you know, based on you can say, well, the rule is you can't wear hats in class oh my god i hate you i hate this class you don't like kids why are you a teacher and then but to a, an administrator just because they said they don't like you now they're looking at you like hmm well right. children can't learn from teachers they don't like you have to learn how to build a rapport 
And okay, but the rule is that you want me to enforce is that there are no hats in the class. What you want me to do? So do I just say, okay, wear your hat? You right. see what I'm saying? Like, when do we hold the students accountable for, oh, hey, guess what? This is the rule. And in life, you're not going to always like your boss. You're not always going to like your coworkers. But guess mm -hmm. what? You still got to get that work done if you want that check to come. And we as educators, we are preparing our young people for real life. There's too much in excuse. real life. It doesn't matter if you like me or not, as long as we're being respectful to each other and working towards the goal that we're putting in each other's space to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Amen. So I'll stop right there. But that's great. Too many excuses. So, too many excuses that society has given to this generation. Um, you know, it's 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 wrapped into a bunch of agendas, but it is too many excuses, too much leeway, too much rope and too much space. You know, you don't have to be an abuse. You don't have to be abusive to a child. But I, I do remember when I was in school, it didn't matter if I liked the teacher or not. And that was many teachers I didn't like. Let me let me be disrespectful to the teacher. Let me be failing the class. And that was my ass, you know. So it was it was it was the it was the home structure. It was the parent and even even beyond it reaching my home, it was the principal, you know, pulling you up for bad grades, pulling you up for, for being dis, for being disrespectful to a teacher, a level of standard that the administrators had in their building before it got to your parents. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a different world that given these kids, that given these young folks way too much rope. And frankly, from what I've seen as a teacher, they hang themselves with it because they're young folks with too much rope. Mm -hmm. yes. How about you, Marche? You, you bringing up the 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 youthful uh, part of this conversation how do you feel about that um i can copy and paste everything that calvin said um i would agree with him um more so um i don't agree with that statement because there's been a lot of teachers that i may not have agreed with personality wise but their skill of teaching was very much so helpful mm -hmm. Uh, explain to me because I've heard that from uh, quite a few students. You agree with someone's personality. What does that mean? Because no, I say I may not have agreed with their no, personality. No, but I'm 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 asking you to explain that. What does agreeing or not agreeing with someone's personality mean? What does that mean? Um, you know, well, I'll say I'll say this: the opening of a school day is early in the morning. A lot of people are not morning morning persons. Just because they pick that job doesn't mean that they are morning persons. So a teacher may not be, good morning students. A teacher may be, all right, good morning y'all, come on. Let's, you know, you know what, what the drill is. We going back, we leading, leading off chapter five or whatever the case may be. You know, that some, some kids or some young people or whatever the case may be may take that as being smart or mm -hmm. take that as a straight off attitude or take that as she don't like us as a whole. You get what I'm saying? That may not be her intentions. That just may be her personality early in the morning. She just want to get to it, get it over it. Right. Right. And the three, actually the three of you um, uh, kind of make up in this production, the, the book smart part of the crew. Whereas though our other two actors, um, Uncle Brother and uh, Martique, they're more the street wise, the street smart. 
uh, mm -hmm. aspect of it. And that's why I kind of led with the educational aspect of the conversation. Um, moving a little bit deeper into this, when we, we speak about men, um, because they're the representation for women in this production is more so on the behind the scenes side, not really on the stage. Uh, but how do you all feel about being black men today in mm. 22? What is your, um, through your own experience, not necessarily in general, but through your experience being a black man? Ooh, you got a question right there. Go ahead, y'all. If I could be honest, it's hard. Um, and I mean that with all seriousness. What makes it hard? Um, for me, um, now I'll start by saying being an adult is hard. You get what I'm <laughs> saying? The responsibility. If you're if you're if you're a a true younger, I mean, I know y'all a little bit older. God bless you. First of all. Um, and you've been on this journey, you've been on this journey a long time. But um you raped that I'm telling you, he laughing now, but that's 24, 25 years. But no, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, in all, in all seriousness though, um being a young black male in my in my mid twenties, I would say it's hard because you know you have to hold that responsibility of if y'all, especially if you're a black male that wants to be somebody, you know, and not necessarily um, famous or um, rich, but just be somebody that is fulfilling purpose. Mm. You get what I'm saying? And that just want to do right. And nowadays, you can be that person to walk through life doing right, striving every day to pay your bills and just to fulfill assignment. And life is just going to take a toll on you, whether it be um, knowing that you can't hang around a certain crowd of Black men because all Black men are not the same, mm -hmm. um, knowing that you can't say certain things, um, you can't bang with certain people who don't understand your culture um, and where you come from as a Black man. I mean, it's, you know, and just knowing that some people will never get it. Mm -hmm. So for me, for me, it's hard because in some aspect, I'm going through life, doing what I'm supposed to do and doing the right thing. And then just saying some people who are um, just mis uneducated, who's just uneducated, um, whether you're a black man or not, just uneducated on what it means to be a black man. It's hard, honestly especially when your heart is in the right place to do right and to fulfill purpose, to fulfill culture, to, um, to, you know, black lives matter, to even raise that standard for people to pe a lot of people don't take it as serious as we should. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's hard, you know, no, it's like the joke. It's like, oh, go ahead. no, please Calvin, go ahead. It's like it's like the joke that's not funny. Like it's only hard when I go outside. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Uh, it's weird being 39 years old in 2022, a young black African American man who's never been arrested. Grew up in West Baltimore. Okay. Um, to still 
have those feelings when when I walk down certain streets or I'm at certain events and how you can feel the judgment, how you can feel the fear. I could be dressed like this. I'm fly today. I could be That's dressed right. like this. Or I could have a suit on. I step into a certain room and there is still fear. Mm-hmm. And, and it and it comes out in different ways. It's, it's subtle sometimes. It's in the questions that you're asked. It's in some of the statements that they say. And it's sometimes so weird. I look just like you. Exactly. Our own people. Yeah. Exactly, Nick. And, and, and you know what? And it's and it's not like that's new because we we all know um, that even back in, in 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 the slavery days, we had our own people selling our own people. So. It's not like that. It's shocking. It's just, it's like, really? When you see it, it's just like, I don't want to believe it. But here you are, my color, but you ain't my kind. Amen. That's what the old folks to say. Talk. Um, that was a good talk right there. You're my color, but not my kind. Sometimes right. you have to look another black man in the face and tell him that, you know, I'm not like you. You know, um, just because I didn't do it this way. You know, a lot of people think because the only way you'll be successful is if you're a rapper. Or if you're a um, a producer, or if you're, you get what I'm saying? Or athlete, a uh, professional yes. athlete, right? Yes. Yes. Like they, a lot of times, people will try to stone you for being a fashion designer. For you mm-hmm. putting on, you know what I'm saying, styling. Like, this a black. This is what a black man should be. Grace, style, um, clean. I'm, I don't have to have fronts. I don't have to have, you get what I'm saying, braids. I don't have to have chains down my neck. I don't have to have watches running up my arm. You get what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by also heart, that, like the grace part, walking with grace. Like black men should be able to walk with grace and it should be normal. Amen. Go ahead, Noah. Well, um... I am made in the great spirit, the great breath's image. My blackness, my skin, my melanin is um, is divine. So I don't think much about it. Um, you know, uh, we are still in the in the land of the of the conquerors. So they, the the the, the laws and the ideology is still against um, our our divinity. But I I carry it as such. I am I am divine because I have such because I have this dark skin. Um, so I don't really look too much of how I don't go with the plight of how society is holding me down because I want to be the architect to changes that idea mm-hmm. um, that pushes us to the thought that we are divine, that we are so much more than what our conquerors have trained us to think and to be. Um, so I'm going to go with what Mars says. What really is hard is just being a human in this motherfucker, just existing, just waking up and going outside. That's the true test. For being, <laughs> for being, a, being a divine oh, black thing, you know, uh, that, that's easy work, you know? <laughs> One of the things I learned throughout this process is the need for us to have a safe space to be able to go to, whether that be your own home whether that be to yourself, whether that be in a group of people that think like you, that look like you, um, um, whatever that may manifest itself in your life, meaning a safe space. I didn't realize how important that was to all other men. 
until we had the community conversations and how men who would not typically open up and share um, or speak about their personal experiences. Once I saw grown men that were 60, 70 years old doing it and realizing even living to that age and not having this, some of them said this was their first time being able to have conversations like we had in those community conversations. And I, I wanted so bad for those conversations to be live so other people could see it, but we had to do it in such a private way because these men were sharing very personal things about themselves that people outside of who they are and what they represent would have been judged drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it for you all to have that safe space and have you found that safe space let me let me go with this one only because i've had a revelation about this recently that that phrase i feel seen i you know i would i would hear people say it but i really didn't you know i really didn't understand the depths and really what it meant but mm-hmm. one day, one day I was having, you know, I was up smoke, smoking a little reefer. It was like three, three o'clock in the morning, hanging <laughs> with my little? friends, hanging with my friends. And just one, the fact that we had reached that rapport that we were able to speak with each other, but just the things that they were saying, one, I felt honored. They felt comfortable enough to share it with me. Mm-hmm. But the stuff they were saying, it was shocking, like, wait a minute, y'all go through this shit too? Like, I thought it was something that this is crafted, this trauma, this issue was crafted specifically for Noah. So it was no mm. say it out loud because who else is going through it? But then you say it out loud and you realize it's 10,000 million people going through the same thing. So at that that moment, that night, I realized like, wow, I feel seen. Like mm-hmm. somebody else, I don't have, and, and I felt the weight lift. Like I don't have to carry this anymore. I'm not the only one. So it's very important to have mm-hmm. that same space, to have your community. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Marcia, Calvin. You can go ahead, Calvin. There's a uh, scripture that says that there's no temptation that's uncommon to man. And for every temptation, God has given a way of escape. And mm-hmm. um, that's the safe space um, concept became clearer to me as I got older, I guess in my late teens, when I, I was going to like different youth conferences and just participating in a lot of things. And I would start to see how groups are formed, social groups, I mean, like when you meet new people, how people gravitate to each other in certain ways. And then I would hear the certain conversations that I would be involved in with the group that I ended up sitting with or talking with and how relationships grow out of that. You end up with friends for seven to 15 years from a random situation where you were put together or you linked together um, organically. And from that, I heard men expressing themselves, well, other at the time, other boys that looked like me expressing themselves. And what that does is it taps into, like Noah said, that part of, wait, I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. Like, dude just said what I was going through about two years ago and thought nobody understood me, but he he's going through it now. What that does is it opens us up to be able to understand that not only are we not alone, but there is an after this. Whatever I'm going through, even if it's not bad, it's not always bad things. It could be 
decision making. It could be what other black man do I know that's that's in the creative space that's that's trying to do this major thing that I'm trying to do because I want to link with someone who understands my culture doing this. So I link up with Nate because I see I already know what Nate has done. And I'm like, he can understand what I'm about to do. Let me let me holler at Nate. It could be as simple as that. It's not always negative and bad. Like who's going through the hell I'm going through. That's that's good too. That can be supportive as well. But just major life decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And it's important for me. So I'm sorry. Yes. To answer your question. Yes. I have a couple of, of uh, core spaces and, and uh, groups of people or persons in my life that, that, that are safe spaces um, for me. Um, specifically, I'll say this. I pray I don't have any blood brothers. So I, played, I pray that God would bring godly men in my life. He not only did that through certain pastors and like my godfather that I adopted, who's the pastor. Uh, and then there are my God brothers who are like friends that are not my blood, but we're close enough to where we have that bond. We have that safe space. And God bless me with those people. Um, in addition to that, my own family, of course, my family holds me down. That's holding me accountable. That's telling me when I have a stupid idea. That's telling me when it's dope and telling me how to work through my thought process. How can you make this better? That's a support system. So, yes. Sorry, I had it. No, no, no. I, I wanted you to be able to flush that out because often you, we get into these types of conversations on a surface level and you don't get to really express how in depth, uh, especially a question like this is important because uh, I, I I say this all the time and I I think it's become a part of my mission in life. Women have all these programs to one, prevent subsequent whatever to um, uh, help them come back from. And typically men see those things and not all the time, but I think typically we see those same types of programs for men in jails or in rehabilitation centers or mental health institutions and very little uh, in terms of a percentage, just in general. Um, I grew up with mentoring programs and then somehow mentoring turned into let's pick the best possible candidates and let's push them to be greater versus you know uh let's go into these jails and help these brothers at least get to a certain level so Mm -hmm. our programs normally come when we're too far gone in whatever given circumstances and i've been saying that for so long that i think now it naturally has become a part of my mission to support black men in whatever way i can and it's, it's awkward because I'll call somebody to a meeting. Um, kind of the reason we have actually are here today is I called Troy and Blue Waters and DDM into a accountability circle. And out from that, Troy decided to push forward and, and make this happen. Um, and, and they were weird about, and these are three men that know me, they were very weird about even what are we going to talk about? The day I brought them all to my office and talked, you know, I, I had a conversation with Noah. I had a conversation with um, uh, with Brother Calvin. And it's weird because you're not used to other men coming to you in that space and just wanting to be even kill with you and have conversations outside of business uh, or, or something toxic, uh, mm-hmm. of course. But I've found that is many men find it uncomfortable to 
find that accountability in each other or with people in general for, for that matter. Uh, but it, it really does, uh, I'm, I'm very curious and interested in how that can be a thing now without it being a, a, a Kevin Samuels looking type of thing or people perceiving it to be something toxic or women hating even. Um, right. But just to be able to get things out that are toxic in a space where you feel safe and you can get at least one other person to balance that out or say, well, I thought that before too, but this is what I think now, or this was my experience and be able to share possibilities with each other. Um, Marche, did you get to answer that question? I would have to say that um, I'm probably not there yet with the safe space thing. Um, it could be because of me. It could be it's because it's probably not time yet. I'm not sure, but I'm not there yet. Why do you think you're not there yet? Um, I probably would say I'm picky far as like the atmosphere and the spacing that um, I want it to be probably, I, I need to feel that connection. Um, if it's going to be a safe space for me, I'm probably looking more so for a certain type of, for a certain type of connection before. What feeling. does that mean? What, what, what that best case scenario, what would that look like for you? And what would it feel like? Probably, um, probably maybe a father figure mm. or maybe like a like i'm probably over the um friend stage or the you know big brother stage like probably someone who actually would get where i'm coming from that would know about it and would be able to direct me mm. not saying a big brother can't or a friend can't that's just what I'm looking for. Or and that, that, that tell you a lot about where you are also um, with your own personal healing and growth. Um, and, and it's nothing wrong with asking for what you're needing. That sounds like a need for you in this moment. Yes. And um, this yeah. is where you are. Mm -hmm. oh, go ahead, yeah. it's, 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 it's definitely a, a, a trauma situation. You get what I'm saying? Definitely something that um, you, I personally am trying to move past, but that particular subject is hard to move past, mm -hmm. if you understand what I'm saying, because of my own personal story. But mm -hmm. that be like the safe space. You get what I'm saying? To make me be like, okay, you get what I'm saying? Like, I can relax now. I'll, I'll say two things that may seem contradictory. One, don't wait, seek it out. You know, if it takes you praying for it or meditating over what that looks like, really in your mind, uh, figure out what that looks like. Because I'm gonna tell you, I was in that space and it really wasn't until last year that I even attempted to even seek it. And that was mm. when I pulled on Blue and Troy and DDM. And it, it, it was a weird feeling because I've, I'm that person for so many other people. They come to me for that safe space. But when I purposely sought out 
um, that type of balance in my life because I wanted to surround myself with people because we're in the arts and it can often feel like predominantly women around you. And sometimes right. that's not a safe space for some of us based off of what our experiences have, have been, um, especially on the, the level that men have been hiding and denying and just living through uh, the scars and the traumas of life. Um, so I purposely uh, stuck that out. And that was me being 38 um, for the first time in life thinking that. And I would not have thought from that uh, initial jump from me or uh, that, that thing that I wanted to seek it out, that we would be here over a year later doing a play based off a lot of those themes or those thoughts. Um, and, and it just opened itself out and it was nothing. Once you, once you purposely seek it out and just let it happen, mm. it's like, uh, uh, Calvin was saying, you'll naturally attract to you the people who, uh, who are supposed to be there in that experience. Um, and just using your gut instinct and that discernment to really decide what that is. And don't, and the other side of that is, don't put it off, <laughs> you know, don't put it off because you haven't, that person hasn't come in either. So seek it out. And even if you have to baby step in the information you're putting out, do it so you're not just sitting on it. Because for me, it really was 38, 39 years of just sitting on it and not addressing it. And stuff that was insignificant, that, that seemed insignificant, it was such a relief, not only because for me in the community conversations, I didn't even really do that much talking. I listened to the stories and like Calvin <laughs> was saying, you start hearing other people say the stuff that's been on your mind forever. Mm -hmm. you, you sometimes hear what they say and you then learn the verbiage to be able to express what's going on with you or what you're feeling. Sometimes we don't even have the words. It's just, I just don't feel right. Right. This don't feel good. This feels weird. This feels off. And you begin to learn the verbiage as you talk about it. And now that you are reintroducing yourself to the art, now you have a platform to filter some of that out. Filter some of that, you know, things out. I only do plays that speak to my experience. I'm not going to do something strictly for a check or for entertainment value because it doesn't, it doesn't help me. I'm going to still be at the same place when I finish this project or when I finish this art piece or when I finish this, whatever I'm doing in that moment. Um, as we uh, as we continue on, because if you have to go, just, just let me know. I do have to go. I'm like on an unscheduled break. <laughs> but uh, in, in terms of, and, and I, a, a lot of this conversation today was taken from things that myself, uh, Troy, Blue, kind of came together and thought, uh, if y'all don't know, Blue is a, a trained therapist and counselor, and we brought him into the project. Well, one, he was in accountability, and that was his contribution to the other members. Uh, but we had that therapist there throughout the process because we didn't know in opening up those doors what and who would come through. Um, and it was a scary feeling because I didn't, I never want to put somebody in a predicament where we can't help you and you just explode, expose yourself. So right. really having that balance of, yes, accountability circle, but also 
uh, introducing yourself to some type of mental health specialist or expert, and that's to anybody listening as well. Um, don't try to do this on your own. That could be dangerous. And we've heard those stories of people taking their lives once they've opened themselves up and could not close it or could not contain that overflow. Um, but in, in terms of you, you all identifying what it is, to, what you feel like being a Black man today, um, I wanted to throw in one kind of hot button topic, um, and that would be Mr. Kanye. And I want to be, you know, respectful. See you guys. See you. See you later. Uh, but uh, for you, Calvin, just uh, understanding who he is and what we've seen from him, and then taking into consideration, we don't, we know probably five percent or one percent of who this man is and what his experience has been. Um, but how do you, can you remark or make remarks on how you have seen people respond to him? Maybe not necessarily how you feel, or you can add that as well, but the overall, what do you feel about how people have responded to seeing him go through this meltdown for the last couple of years? Uh, I always, I've been having this conversation a lot over the years. You know, he's always a topic because he's a mega star. And I think that's something that people, the the main the main reason why this is making global impact is because he's a global figure, right? And so with that being said, he's a global figure who I I personally don't follow and like I don't have all his albums. I haven't like studied bar for bar, you know. However, I watch the industry. I study the industry, and what I noticed is that after his mom passed is when I, we started to see a bunch of stuff that was not on. And in my opinion, I didn't see that stuff before. Or right. maybe if he was doing, maybe he was saying stuff that was a little off, but it might've been a little genius off and creative off, if you get what I'm saying, versus this whole white lives matter teacher. Like it's, it's a complete different thing, but it had, it was a transition after his mom passed. And I don't know, like you said, we know 1%. I don't know if he's ever talked to a, a, a mental health professional mm. or if he, or how long. And in my opinion, just looking, I don't think he has, or maybe there, maybe he has, then he stopped a, a particular chunk of sessions and then he was triggered. You see what I'm saying? And then it started to go backwards. I don't know how that, that works. Well, he um, had many people being on medication. So in order for you to get medication, I, I don't, as a lay person, not as a superstar, I, I know you have to go through a psychiatrist. So I, it sounds like there was some help and then there was some resistance to the help. Oh, uh, so he's on, he was on meds? Yeah, he talked about being on meds. And uh. mommy, he was going through some ebbs and flows for a minute there and you know, he admitted to not taking his medication. So I'm just assuming, but you know, wow. celebrities get medication because they ask for it. But uh, typically you have to see a psychiatrist so they can right. give you medication. But yeah, it, they legally are responsible. Yeah. 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 But it, it, like when you said that, that makes me think of two people, Brandy, who's my, my favorite singer of all time, and Tyrese, because mm -hmm. we're talking about mental health. So... Right. Brandy, I noticed the transition in Brandy 
um, a year or you know, the same year that she came out with her last album um, discussing mental health. Mm-hmm. And it was my best friend's wife. Um, she was the fiance at the time. We were talking about her and I was like, I feel like Brandy is struggling with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not negative. I were, I've worked in the field where I can, you know, I can discern certain things and see, you see certain things. Now she's somebody I do study. Cause that's, that's my, that's my B, my Brandy. So I noticed like in some of her interviews, some of her interactions and how she was beefing with certain uh, artists and individuals who right. it didn't make sense or she used to be cool with. And I'm just like, that don't, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, she came out with the album and on the song is bipolar and it says bye bipolar. I don't want this disorder. And so I was like, hmm. But then she did an interview where she kind of spoke to it, but wouldn't word for word address it. So she hasn't come out and said, I have bipolar, blah, 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 blah. What did she say she went? Okay, then the verses happened. So when the verses with her and Monica happened, that's around the time that she admitted that she had told, I forgot how it happened. I'm sorry. But anyway, it came out that she said something to the effect that there was some mental health things going on. Mm-hmm. And so she was apologizing. They was getting all that, all that stuff in order. So Tyrese, if you notice, whenever he has his explosions and stuff, you can see a look in his eyes and it's clear that he's not on the medication at the time. Mm-hmm. So with Kanye, I feel like now that you said that, it's probably the same thing. He's He could be off his meds because I've worked with young people and um, young adults who are a completely different person if they are on their meds versus when they're off. I so, feel yeah. I a lot, uh, a lot of times culturally, I feel like we are one of the only cultures that get upset for people for either developing a struggle like a mental breakdown or some type of mental imbalance or being born into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and, and maybe I'm just overlooking other people's cultures, but I ain't never been in any other culture but mine. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just feel like we are the one of the only ones that get angry with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, it could be frustrating to have to personally deal with someone with frustration, but that don't typically, well, I'm not going to say that. It doesn't necessarily have to come out as anger or develop into anger, but it is frustrating having to deal with somebody, especially if it's a loved one or a close friend. It's It's frustrating or a student in our cases, um, it's frustrating because you're you're trying to work through it, and that person's just not there with their healing yet or at all. Uh, right. But it is, you know, this this play has brought up. I wish you all would have were able to be a part of the community conversations or the writers' room. Me too. So much um, that has been condensed in these pages that you all have seen, um, but. Even listening to the monologues or the dialogue that you all are saying, I was, I was, it was one scene that you all were doing uh, last night. I think it was the um, uh, when you all were switching in the chairs, and okay. in my mind, in my mind, I thought that that meant that the grandmother had all these this revolving door men. That's what I saw. I don't know why that's what came to me, um, but. <laughs> It, it, or it could be seen as just the men 
in the neighborhood, but it just for some reason it went to this revolving door of men um, in this uh, in these individual lives. Oh wow! Like this is that is hard. Like it is what what children see really has an effect on them. Right, it, it's like it, when comedians it, be like, like, "Yeah, I had, I had all these uncles I didn't know I had." When I, okay, I got you. Right, but it, but just imagine, you know, if they were all bad, mm. or if they were all toxic. Um, just understanding what impact that has on you growing up, trust issues, you know, insecurities, fear, all these things come up and become a part of your nature as an adult. When you've experienced, nobody has said anything. It's just been normal and normalized to everybody to experience this. And just imagine all your other friends. You know, I, that's one of the things that I, I assumed. I thought, you know, people had the same family structure that I had. You know, and realizing that some people did and some people didn't. You know, it's a it's a a, a cruel thing. And I think the first time I ever acknowledged that other people share my experience. I was in middle school and they brought in this curriculum called Rainbows and it was geared towards um, young men because I went to all boys school who had been raised by a single parent. Um, okay. And predominantly it was more so a single mom. I think one exception to that rule, but it was a portion of us instead of us going to sports one day a week, we met for this group and it was weird initially because we thought it was going to be one-on-one. We didn't know we would be in these groups talking about this stuff. And it was very awkward for these young men. I know me being one of them to talk about the stuff that I was experiencing, having to be raised by a single mom. And it was really just a weird thing, you know, because some people had still had shared in some separate experiences, whether your parent had died, mm-hmm. or this was never your life or chose to leave or whatever that was, or they just were separated. Um, But it was just a weird experience understanding that. But the judgment, the feeling of judgment, this feeling of all those things culturally, I just feel this play came up with so many topic matters. And we were, arguments pursued at some time Uh in the community conversation or the writer's room. Um, And it was based off of people having two separate perspectives on the same issue mm-hmm. and it, you know I'm I'm trying in my mind even going through this year how can I what can I do to fix this or help it or move it forward for black men specifically you know and it's hard to say that without including women but I think we have to deal with us first mm-hmm. before necessary. we branch out anywhere else Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that or any feelings about that? Uh, like specifically which part? But but I mean I'll, I'll ask the question. How how do we as black men fix this? That and it, this could be anything and it's a million a billion different things, but how do we fix the communication side of that? Mm-hmm. Like I'm hurt or I'm broken or I need help, which most of us don't know how to do. I think it's easier for you and I to break, to be a major force in breaking these generational curses and cultural curses because we're in the classroom with young people. 
And not mm-hmm. only that, but we mentor young people outside of, in the community, through the, whether it be a project or a mentorship group, whatever, we are hands-on. Mm-hmm. That is the best way because it's interesting, I'm not making this up, like last week, maybe three or four days ago, I had asked my students about their safe space and um, and, mm-hmm. and who did they, it was one of their, their our drills, our writing assignments, who can they talk to? Um, I, I'm trying to remember word for word, but I can't because I wasn't expecting to. But anyway, it was that the same similar conversation. And one of my students asked me, and I remember they're 15, 15, some 16, but 15. And mm-hmm. she said, Well, how do you know? How do you how do you know how to choose mm-hmm. the person to confide in? Right. I said, that is an amazing question. And I said it will be it will always be different. It will depend on your circumstance. It will depend on uh, what maybe your immediate need is. But I said, well, you can always go off, like you said earlier, Nate, your discernment is the biggest thing. You tap into what God is saying to your heart about the person that maybe you're considering to confide in. And then something else you said uh, is what I, um, is one of my go-tos is you start in baby steps and mm-hmm. you give in and, and you give them something that is not going to hurt you if it gets out, but you still would like to get some opinion on it and you still don't want to talk to too many people about it. So you do need to confide, but it's not going to hurt you should it go left. You start there, see how they handle it. And then you'll know the fabric of that person, whether you can trust them with something else. Because that's the only way. You know, you're not going to know until you know. Um, and it's just learning. It's just stepping out and trying. Like my first step was when I turned 30, I decided to go to therapy and it just wasn't the best fit for me. Um, and a lot of it had to be with the actual therapist and not therapy in general. Uh, but a lot of it was me not realizing it wasn't as simple as just sitting down with someone and talking about it mm-hmm. because you had the, you're reliving it because you pushed it down or let it go or pushed it to the side a little bit. And you have to deal with telling the story. And yeah. sometimes it still will hurt you expressing it or communicating it. Um, but just trying it, just talk. If it's if you have to start with just writing it out, and some people just they don't want to deal with it, you know. And that's that's when it becomes tough and difficult when we're just refusing to deal with it. And as artists, I think we have it a little bit easier because we have an excuse to express emotions without having to talk about the specific yeah, outlet, right? But that outlet can still be toxic because you're just still going in a circle with it. That's how, that's a great way to start, but you have to eventually get out whatever that is because once it's outside of you, you can no longer, as Iyanla Van Zet would say, get high off of that story anymore. You know, and some of us we, we live in a generation where people wear their disorders or their struggles or their traumas on their sleeve and just expect for other people to deal with it. Without understanding how how to deal with it. Right. And know how to deal with it. So it's it this has been and and after the fact we're gonna do like a postmortem on this postmortem. Uh a postmortem is typically like especially after you do any type of project or um uh art project, you normally have a discussion about the whole process. Um, and myself and Troy, Troy brought it up about us doing it. And, and 
figuring out how that would work um, in terms of including everybody that was a part of the process. We would do a survey, we would do a big group think um, because there's been a lot of stuff unpacked. And it's, once you've said the stuff, you can't take it back. Mm -hmm. Somebody heard you throughout this process say it or think it or feel it. And I think that's a lot of fear why people um, do it. Because even for me, I'm very great at communicating myself and, and saying how I feel. However, it's still a lot that I don't say. And that's that's me. That's you know, how I was raised, you know, what goes on in this house stays in this house. You know, a, a lot of church hurt, a lot of just me getting in my way. Uh, and and I, I really would love for anybody listening, if you have any suggestions on how uh, most effectively, especially when dealing with Black men, how that can be. I'm, I'm really open to uh, suggestions because me and Troy have talked about taking a community conversation group and our accountability group and continuing it beyond this point. And what does that look like? What does that feel like? Cause we can't just get together and socialize once a month but it has to have a balance of help. Like we should in a year or a couple months be better off than what we did when we first started this. Um, so that, that that's definitely the uh, point for me being involved in this and how to most effectively. That's why I didn't want to really take any creative parts. If you see me, this not typically how I'm involved in stuff. I'm normally all in, um, but I've been more so spectating around the surface of it, around the edges of it to see how this thing can be affected. And it was really, um, it's been very interesting to see all you guys kind of embody and jump into this, but I also see the hesitation because you all are talking about real stuff. It's, it's yeah. not just, you know, some August Wilson lines that you can kind of embed some truth into, but this is real life stuff. And it was written for that purpose. It was a lot of this, these conversations were being brought up both in the writer's room, um, the production meetings and in our community conversation. So a lot of that stuff came directly from our thoughts and our things and the writers, what they were thinking and what they're feeling. A lot of this, and I, I would ask you, does it sound personal as it was in those spaces creating it? To you, does it sound personal? Does like it the, sound words, personal? the lines, the words, the scripts itself. So you're going to think I'm making it up, but most all of my parts mm -hmm. are are very close to who I am. And I guess I guess that's like a that's a cheat code for me, but it's not for Troy, because Troy doesn't know me and Tracy don't know me. So it's not like they knew beforehand. So they picked me because they knew. But it's a cheat code for me because I can feel it's not hard for me to tap into or feel what I'm saying as the character. Versus well, if it was somebody completely very direct and honest with you. That's why you were picked. That's why the other characters were picked. That's why you. No, all what, I, what no, what I mean is, what I mean is, you you know me mm -hmm. more than they do. Mm -hmm. However, you still don't know me. You get what I'm saying? We've yeah, known each other for years. Said, so, so, so add that personal. Without knowing the personal background, we still, and and I don't think we, and this is something that I had to learn. Despite me telling you what my truth is, 
it's prevalent on you. And a, mm -hmm. that one therapist that was not so good, she explained it to me as if I had a stain on me. Ooh. And whatever your life is, it's almost like a birthmark or a stain on you. Like, I know that this is a wine stain on this carpet. And you may not know the, the who, what, where, when, and why, the details or the in-depth. But, uh, and I don't think it's a secret because Troy shared with you all when we had the first initial um, sit down with everybody that you all really came in and embodied the sound, the tone, the color of that character without knowing too, too deep. Uh, and it's really why I did tag certain people in it because I have been through the process. Like you said, even not being a part of that process, being a part of a workshop, that's not something we typically do right now. We starting to see it happen more, but we're used to you know, reciting the August Wilson monologue or Shakespeare or, we're used to doing something and just trying to add a different spin to it because we've seen all the black stuff so much. Uh, but doing something original based off of reality and not just a concept that was created uh, is very, it's scary because then you like, well, nigga, was you, do you know me? Did somebody tell you something? But I knew those types of things would come out. But if you look at all your fellow actors, their parts look like it was written for each of you. Very personal. And that's amazing because it's like five different writers. Well, no, that's what um, I was going to say. What I was getting to was mm -hmm. that they didn't know me. Mm -hmm. But still, all of my pieces, like um, the, my audition piece mm -hmm. is also one of my favorite pieces. Probably all of my large monologues are my favorite. But <laughs> um, Emasculate Who, I was like, wow. Right. I, so that's why, remember we did, we went live and I was talking about Tracy, how she wrote Color the Hood Beautiful. And that was like, mm -hmm. I felt like something I could have wrote or when it came from me. Um, right. That's what I mean. And I said, it was God ordained. That's what I mean. Like mm -hmm. going through the script of my character is God ordained. It's right. nobody can make that connection. Like how you explained it, except for God putting mm -hmm. it together. So I'm and grateful this for that. Is one of the simplest and without giving away too much, it's been one of the simplest audition processes that I've ever taken part in. Because really? it just, because when you, but when you go into, and that I've been pushing Troy to create this as a, maybe a course or okay. a, a workshop of how to create for us. Because we, we, I always tell people, black people don't have to be conceptual. We don't have to think about an idea and try to create. We lift everything that we do from the yes. color purple to August Wilson. It's it's our real, you know, somebody in your family and your bloodline that that story is. We all know a ceiling, either that go to our church or we all know, you know. We all know Uncle Brother. We all know Uncle Brother. We all know a Martin. Right, yes. we all know Martique. Literally, we all know Martique. But it just, yeah. it, it really <laughs> is our existence. So we don't have to do that. It's just us being able to fit our whole thing on a stage. And that, that's what this process has been trying to, and it was so much that you all did not even see in terms of monologues or stories or dialogue. 
because it, we couldn't fit all that into one stage. Right, the stuff that was cut before we got right. there. Right, so it's, it's a lot that didn't even reach the floor. Stuff that the audience won't see. Stuff that you know that you all saw, and it morphed or changed or grew or developed into something else throughout this process. How do you how do you feel going back to the process about being a part of something like this? How will this kind of uh, persuade you in terms of new projects that you get yourself into? Um, I don't think it's going to. I think it's it's helped it's definitely stretched me mm-hmm. as a creative in general because to be able to be a part of a project that is still being formed mm-hmm. for, and for the first time and for it to be done in excellence though it's it's weird because I'm still a student of life I'm still a student of destiny right. a student of everything that's beautiful and we are beautiful as a people and so to mm-hmm. be sitting there and just, just looking around, hearing y'all just, you know, popcorn. It's, you know, in school, we call it popcorn. One person mm-hmm. speak, then the next person. So, uh, and just talk about life experiences or, and the, the real part that blesses me, like I said before, is these, we are representing and paying legacy. Um, I mean, tribute to real people. You know, mm-hmm. Cousin Dana was a real person. This is not a fictional character. And so mm-hmm. that touches my heart even more that I must do my best to um, to deliver. Yeah. Um, no matter what I'm feeling, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's so much bigger than me and it's bigger than entertainment. This is impartation. Mm-hmm. That people are gonna walk up out of there feeling like they're not alone, feeling like they are understood uh, mm-hmm. and feeling like they, I feel like people are actually gonna walk out with some tools on ideas of how they can conquer something they're going through. That's that's one of the big things that I feel as we've gone through rehearsals and I've seen how we've adapted our characters and how the script, not that it's coming together because it was already together. I'm just talking about as we have been rehearsing the scenes, how the script is coming together as a piece. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, it's so powerful. And mm-hmm. power is how we change. Power is how we're gonna grow. And so, yeah, so going forward, any project that says workshop, uh, I don't know if it's even done like that because this one didn't say workshop on it. I learned it was in workshop once I signed on and became a part. But, but I mean, I would love to be a part of other workshop experiences. It is a little intimidating too. Uh, well, to be because you yourself, how does how, that, how does being a creative yourself, how does that encourage you to create? That I was about to get to that too. Yeah, because I want to direct. Um, mm-hmm. I, I directed my um my first and only music video, <laughs> the patiently mm-hmm. waiting music videos on YouTube right now. Um, <laughs> and so I have plays in me, I have shows and movies in me that I want to write and produce and direct. And so being in a space of a, a theatrical workshop, you get nuggets on this is how it can be done. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And so hey, I've never seen it before. So mm-hmm. it's all it's all downloading. You see what I'm saying? And so if God get well, when God gives me the next vision to actually go forth in that way, I'll have a lot that I've learned from you thought I was him. Yeah. I, I really hope, and it, it was something that I, I I said in the very beginning. I hope you all have really journaled this process for yourself because um, like you said, the typical actor does not get this experience. The typical director 
or stage manager doesn't get this experience. Um, writers don't typically get this experience. You don't typically get a writer's room for a play where right. you get other people in there with you. Um, normally writers are very individualized and they stay in their bubble and then they present it. But this is this was a different um, um, space to to be in um, with other people. And I've, I've been kind of a fly on the wall throughout the whole process. And I'm really excited about people seeing this premiere of this production. And finally, because it just felt like this year was never going to end, <laughs> but it's definitely coming to uh, this portion of it, this phase of it is coming to a close in just a week, literally, Next week, it opens up on Friday, and we're going to have some pretty yeah. sure, uh Wednesday and Thursday, but um, that's more so for, you know, cleaning up things. But uh, it premieres next Friday, the 11th, yes. um, and we are um, in, in brilliant competition with a number of other plays and Wakanda, uh, too. Uh, but uh, this play is definitely something that I would say, come out and see definitely make it a part of your uh, to-do list for the next three mm -hmm. weeks um, and come out and enjoy these men. It's been great knowing all of you in different capacities and seeing you all now working together with other people um, in this. Um, so I commend you all for, this Not hasn't been easy. <laughs> it has not been easy. And I'm sure you all are paying the price for it when you go home and mm -hmm. you go back into them scripts. But what is something that, what is, I know you said one thing you want people to uh, take away from this, but overall, what would you like for yourself to take away from this? And what would you like for the audience to take away from it? Um, well, what I know I'm going to take from it is what I'm already beginning to take from it is just um being uh, that feeling of being recharged and mm -hmm. um kind of like reestablished in the right direction creatively right. and as it pertains to my acting specifically uh i've been on a journey with specifically musical theater and 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 all those things i had sat it down for a minute and i was like yeah musical theater is those the auditions is what I couldn't get past. That's another story. But then I conquered that. Then I moved on. So now I'm back. So I'm taking away um, the charge that we are needed in our best in our best form. We as black men are needed not only in the the theatrical creative space, but to be in the face of our our younger generations, to be in our, our best selves in front of our younger generations. That's so mm -hmm. important. Um, as I, and it's, and it just, it's ringing in, in my ear and in my eyes and in my, my mind as mm -hmm. we've been rehearsing and rehearsing and going through, I'm just like, it's, it's imperative to be my best, not only to give glory to God because he created me and it's my mission to be my best, uh, to pursue excellence, um, pursue perfection, but what about the young people that we're, you know, supposed to be reaching, breaking these cycles? All of that comes from us being 100% who we're supposed to be. So that's a that's an interesting perspective. Um, is is that the idea that we are needed? 
and mm-hmm. just reassuring not only others but ourselves because we have it feels like we have a lot of men that are giving up mm-hmm. or just you know wandering off because I felt that myself you know is this worth it is doing this is you know what's the um Clark sister song you know is, is my, my living in vain right it like is is all this for nothing the times that I spent in class the money I owe to Sally made for it you Come know on. my X pieces like the arena players traveling learning lines you know what is this for but I think you summed it up like that the necessity of us is is needed in whatever facet, and you in your classroom, me in my classroom, you know, it, it's needed because they people need to see examples of all different types of Black men and not just yeah. the one on cops or the one on love and hip hop. Uh, right. They need to see, and nothing's wrong with that, but I think we need to see variations of ourselves um, and many different, so we all can come into ourselves through something bigger than ourselves or something inspiring um i'll ask you just to just think about your castmates for a second and the the characters that they're playing was it anything about this story that shocked you and shock meaning something you did not know or something that you learned being a part of this uh, about the uh other actors or their character but more so the characters that they're playing. No, because I'm because the reason why I say that is because I was my mind had, was being rocked this entire workshop experience. So mm-hmm. every day it was like, oh, okay, okay, this character related to this character, okay, this happened, that happened, maternal, paternal. It was just, <laughs> every day was kind of coming at me. It was just like, but in terms of content. I think I may have asked you in the wrong way, but in terms of the content, was there anything that you learned content-wise, um, not the artistry or the acting, but this content, like the words in the script? Um, and I know sometimes being an actor, the nuance normally comes to you in a moment. Like it, it's almost feel like an aha moment. Like, oh, that's how that line is supposed to be said. Or, oh, I didn't even get that. But was it anything that kind of took you aback or something that you actually learned about a type of person or just the well, words? Yeah, I, get, I think I get what you're saying. But I feel like, honestly, for me, I won't say why because we're on this live. I'll tell you later and you'll know why. <laughs> I'm not telling you. But <laughs> oh, okay. I feel like I feel like after next week, I'll have more of those. And I say that because... Mm-hmm. A rehearsal or two ago, I had somewhat of that moment where I have a line that says, um, the name's Dana. So for the longest, I didn't understand how that was supposed to supposed to be said, what I was actually saying. And two rehearsals ago, it hit me. And I ain't even going to say why it hit me, because it might give away something in the show. I can mm-hmm. tell you that later, but too. It, but it hit me mm-hmm. while I'm saying the name, just that little one line I could not get. But I felt, but I, I didn't say anything because I'm like, no, this is where you gotta step your chops up and you gotta, you know, embody this and figure it out. You can't ask yet. If it's if it's getting too close, then you gotta ask. But you gotta, you know, do your but, work. But that's one of the reasons why I insert a lot for you to continuously read your script. 
Mm-hmm. Not something learn your lines, but re- because there will be moments, and it typically happens to you on stage singing it. And you're like, oh my God, that's how, oh, okay. And then that whole, probably that one line, that whole scene makes so much more sense to you now right. than before. So reading it, especially reading it out loud, to hear it outside of yourself mm-hmm. uh, is it's so much more profound when you get how a line is supposed to say. Even though a director may guide you in different ways, you're going to hear that line outside of yourself based off mm-hmm. all the notes that you've gotten, your chemistry or your interaction with the other characters. It's, it's just going to pop into your mind. And it's going to be, you will probably get a couple more of those in the oh, next yeah. Um, just in you, the repetition of you doing it over and over again. And I love those moments, though. That's one of the things I love about theater, is that they're in the live space of the performance, you are still stumbling upon new things, right? And learning new isms about what you're creating. I love it. Now, in the goal time, is, now to all the people who want to be actors, the goal is for you to get that much sooner than later. <laughs> so the goal is to figure out how to get that much sooner. But the, the trick is to read your script as many times as you can, because that will then give you, and read your lines out loud. Most times we get people who learning how to read, the trouble that they're having is they never read out loud. So they mm-hmm. don't hear themselves making the mistakes. So they never, they auto-correct themselves in their head when they're reading. But when you're reading it out loud, that's why I say if you highlight, and, and some of you all are learning that. If you don't, if you highlight everything and you miss one word, you don't know that word because your mind will automatically skip to what's highlighted. So when you don't highlight anything, your mind is just trying to take all that in at one time. But that's the secret to get that done sooner. Rather <laughs> uh, but, uh, you thought I was him project premieres November the 11th and it runs yes. each weekend up until the 27th past Christmas I mean past uh Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Um, at the arena playhouse 801 McCullough Street tickets are general admission are $35 you can get them at the door if you chance I'm just saying mm. this feels like it's gonna I be a up production production students and seniors tickets are thirty dollars you can call the arena playhouse at 410-728-6500 for fundraising opportunities or group sale tickets the fundraising opportunity is you can get a block of tickets and you can have say your church come and you sell the tickets for one price and they'll wholesale you the price and you get to keep the difference and raise money for your organization come on what so have you. And then they also have group prices available as well. You can go to www.arenaplayersinc.com uh, for more ticket information and figure out, you know, the whole thing. You can buy the tickets directly from the line as well. Um, do you have any last minute things you want to get out? Uh, check me out at www.calvinthespecialist.com. Um, my new single is my, my current singles are Mirror Mirror, uh, one eight hundred, and it doesn't matter on all digital platforms under Brother Calvin D. Tucker Jr. I love y'all. Come see this show. Bring your nephews, bring your brothers, your husbands, your uncles, your fathers, 
your sons, did I include all of the men folk, the, your co-worker, Grab uh, your thing and bring them down if you could. Students. Mm -hmm. Students. We want to see y'all. Thank you so much, Mr. Calvin. We're going to say goodbye to him. Um, and uh, the next show up is Skyline Radio Show uh, with Mr. Mark. And I forget his... Uh, I forget his co-host name, but they're coming up next, right? Oh, nope. Guess that's that's a strong. Uh, I guess well, that's been Artist Exchange Radio Show. Uh, tune in next Friday. We'll have on a, one of the last guests. We'll have him on Friday. Um, one of the last actors. We'll have him on Friday, and Blue will be back then. I don't know what happened to Blue. Uh, but he'll be here next week or I'm going to go beat the hell out of him and he will be here anyway. Peace out, people. Good night. Sleep tight. And come on down to the Vestop Blue Jewelry Studio. Tomorrow we'll be here all day from 11 until 8. So come on. Peace out. Thank you.